Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of May 10th, 2022, and officially episode number 514, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. We've got some news all over the world. we got some late-breaking news, well, I guess... uh, Early morning, late break. If if that's late breaking from, you know, about eleven hours ago, um, that was kind of late yesterday, but it's okay. We'll talk about that. Uh, we got uh, some sports stuff we're going to talk about. I always like talking sports. I uh, don't always get that opportunity here on the Paranormal News Insider, but tonight, yes, sports. Um, you know, well, why not? Let's talk about that. I don't, you just reading some stuff about my local stuff here and uh, of course i'm here in northeast ohio it, it's kind of hard for me to to kind of relate to not having a professional sports team within driving distance you know within the short driving distance of my house i grew up here in the shadow of cleveland ohio so i've been uh, a pretty big sportsman my entire life not always in love with uh, my own teams, but you don't have a choice, I guess, when you live that close, uh, 20, 20 minutes, a half hour away from Cleveland. Um, was uh, driving home last night, listened to our baseball team uh, overcome some pretty heavy odds to, to win a game last night, uh, scoring um, yeah, six, six runs, 12 runs, 10 runs, in the last uh, handful of innings to come back to win against their uh, division rivals, Chicago White Sox. So baseball team, though, has come up short three times in the World Series since uh, the mid-90s. They were a dominant team. They had their chances. They couldn't win it. And uh, grew up with the same thing with the Cleveland Browns football team. It's been one thing after another, the drive, the the fumble, um, all sorts of stuff that that have happened. Cleveland sports that we all look back on. Uh, the Cavaliers got beat up by Mike, some guy named Michael Jordan. If you've ever heard of that guy. Uh, so it's been not a fun time to be a, a Cleveland sports fan, unless you like losing. Then it's really fun. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people around here are Pittsburgh Steelers fans, New York Yankees fans, because they're tired of losing. And speaking of the Browns, so the Browns, not very good. Uh, they left here back in, uh, was it 1995? And it became the Baltimore Ravens. They went on to win the Super Bowl five years later. And again, I think about tw- 12 years later after that. And the Browns came back. They kept their uh, team history and all that. And they were allowed to be reborn again in 1998. Not sure if it was a good idea. They really haven't done much since. Made the, I think the playoffs once. And in uh, here's a fast fact. Just looking at this, 
fast fact about the Cleveland Browns in 2022. So it's the 2022-2023 season. They're going to have their 16th starting quarterback since coming back in 1999. 16 starting quarterbacks. They've had at least 30. 30 quarterbacks in that time. Yikes. That's a lot of that's a lot of uh, quarterbacks, but from uh, 1946 until 1995, 49 years. They've used uh, a total of 13 starters. 13. In almost 50 years. Uh, including two of my favorites, Brian Sipe and Bernie Kosar. Two of my favorites growing up. Granted, I, I liked all teams. Not a huge football fan anymore. Um, probably mostly a, a baseball fan of all. Just baseball. Well, granted, we have a team here in Cleveland. The Guardians used to be the Indians. Uh, at least uh, the Cl- Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team. Uh, again, another team with dramatic losses and frustrating movements over the years. Uh, they've only been around since 1970. They finally broke the uh, Cleveland jinx. They won the NBA title back in 2016. And we filled the streets. Uh, I got a couple shirts to prove it, got a hat. We won a championship. Another cool thing about Cleveland sports, uh, we've got a lot of local, I guess you'd call them minor league teams. Uh, two of the Guardians baseball minor league teams are uh, eh, about a half hour drive for, for me. I drive past one of the stadiums every day when I go to work and every day when I come home from work. Uh, the other one's about 20 minutes away. I uh, grew up with a uh, major league indoor soccer team called the Cleveland Force, which eventually became the Crunch. And we also have a, uh, a minor league hockey team, which has evolved over decades. Uh, we've had one that played for the International Hockey League, and we have one that currently plays for the American Hockey League called the Cleveland Monsters. And uh, they used to be known as the Lake Erie Monsters when they came. Uh, they were for the Colorado Avalanche, I believe, but now they're the subsidiary of, or I should say, the minor league organization of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are the NHL team. Uh, Lake Erie Monsters are named after the Lake Erie Monster, known as Bessie, which had some uh, fake news about it back in 1992. The Weekly World News, if you remember that, was uh, on the newsstands when you checked out at uh, grocery stores, and it was full of just absolute fictitious made-up articles about aliens, alien babies, and uh, Bat Boy and all sorts of made-up stuff. And you might remember in, um, what was that? What was that movie with, uh, well, I can't mention, uh, Men in Black. I was going to say, I can't mention the actor in that. I'll get in trouble. Uh, Men in Black talked about that, too. They used the Weekly World News and other of those uh, news magazines for uh, their story, or to uh, to go find these aliens that were all over the place, so... It said that uh, a yacht was knocked over by Bessie and somebody was killed. Well, that wasn't true. never happened. Uh, But there have been sightings of this uh, similar to a Loch Ness Monster type creature in Lake Erie. So it's pretty cool to go 
and see the Lake Erie Monsters. I've also seen, well, I've seen them play the Grand Rapids Griffins, which is pretty cool. Uh, hockey is no stranger to cryptid names. Of course, I mentioned the NHL. They have the New Jersey Devils, which, of course, is uh, named after the uh, Jersey Devil. In all of this, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it uh, our first story of the night is uh, a new hockey team that's going to join the United States Premier Hockey League in 2022 for the 2022-2023. That's a lot of numbers. Season. Uh, already uh, in this, uh, it's a junior hockey organization, so it's kids, pretty much 18 and under. Uh, they also have the Fresno Monsters. They have a pretty cool-looking logo. Uh, but later this year, new team is going to join the organization. It's going to be called the Minnesota Squatch. The Minnesota Squatch. Got to get a hat. Going to get a T-shirt for that. Um, pretty cool. They're going to play out of Elk River, Minnesota. I have no idea where that's at. It's probably a s- small town of like 50 people. Uh, the Minnesota Squatch will play in the Midwest West Division. There's a lot of teams that play for that uh, premier United States Premier Hockey League organization. And I'm sure a lot of those uh, kids hopefully go on to play professional hockey. It's That's a tough sport. It's a tough, tough sport. Uh, Lake Erie Monster, <clears throat> known as Bessie, is just one of a handful, of course, of Lake Monsters in the United States. Not the most well-known. Uh, but she's up there. She's uh, uh, 20 years ago, she was fairly well known after that uh, weekly world news story that uh, was quickly debunked. I remember going on Wikipedia and editing that to uh, show that it was, in fact, not true. But uh, that's long gone at this point. And speaking of the Loch Ness Monster and water sightings, no, there's not been another sighting this week or between the last sighting and this week. But there's still talk about that fourth Loch Ness Monster sighting of this year uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, It says to contain what is said to be the best film footage captured in 20 years and is one of the top of all time. And, of course, uh, this was, uh, again, a couple looking out of a window of a cottage in the early morning hours over the lake. They claimed to see, uh, well, they filmed a a V-shaped disturbance of the water, claimed that there was a a creature with multiple humps and had a uh, at least one visible fin just below the waterline. Now, in the uh, video, you can see what looks to be two dark shapes in the water, but you can't really tell what exactly you're looking at. Uh, Professor Neil Gemmel, we've talked about him here on the show numerous times, including uh, back in 2018 when he carried out that environmental DNA study on Loch Ness, where he took samples at varying depths all up and down Loch Ness, trying to uh, catalog the creature's that have left some sort of DNA, uh, I guess you could say, deposit 
in the water. And took a long time to catalog all that, had all that information, and then no. No big, no large, unknown creature in the water through that scientific analysis. But that doesn't keep people from believing. That doesn't keep people from reporting strange creatures in the water or, or anything else. Doesn't dissuade anybody. Uh, but unfortunately, the only headlines that came from this study suggest that Nessie is probably a giant eel. Which doesn't make any sense because uh, these eels are generally pretty small and actually swim all the way up from the uh, the Caribbean. Well, why they'd want to go up there in those cold waters? But uh, Professor Gemmel was speaking to 3AW Radio out of Australia uh, when he was asked uh, about this particular sighting and what the couple might have seen in the water. And he said, quote, there could be waves or wind action which cause what people see on Loch Ness. It's a big body of water. It's a mysterious body of water. People go there with an expectation they're going to see something weird, and that's the way their minds work when they see logs and various other things floating around, unquote. Trick of the eye, basically, is what he's trying to say there. Uh, zoologist Dr. Darren Nash stated uh, something pretty similar as he said, the sighting stems from our expectations of seeing something strange. And even if you're not a believer, once you see anything on the surface, uh, obviously you know about the Loch Ness Monster. I don't think anybody goes to that part of Scotland to Loch Ness who's not heard of the Loch Ness Monster. And, you know, even if you're not a believer in it, you don't necessarily subscribe to it. I don't know why you're there at all then, but uh, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful area. Uh, anything you see on the surface, it's going to quickly make you think you're seeing something spectacular, even if it has a mundane expl explanation. It's going to fool your mind uh, because you do have that seated in the back of your brain. Uh, so on the setting, he tweeted out, quote, I regret to say that I find the footage totally underwhelming and indeterminate. Uh, I reckon they're probably ducks. To me, the sighting is symptomatic of the expent attention phenomenon surrounding Loch Ness. People go there expecting to see its monster. They see anything and automatically assume it's mysterious, unquote. Yeah, I'd have to tend to agree. I think people, whether they want to or not, get carried away. And Loch Ness is, uh, again, I've talked about this every time we talk about a Loch Ness Monster sighting story. Uh, the way the lake is created, it's very long, very thin. The wind uh, rolls down the hills. Um, it's very deep. And so uh, any wind action has, you know, strange things on the surface and the, any kind of uh, cooling and heating effect. That deep water can create uh, all sorts of strange ripples on the surface, especially the wind and seesh, uh, which is water moving back and forth. Uh, like your bathtub, for example, the water continues to move. So wind pushing one direction eventually, uh, even though the wind's pushing it, it eventually is going to come back. And sometimes these uh, this water moving will create these ripples on the surface. I'm not saying that's all there is to explain these things. Uh, sometimes deer or other animals uh, try to swim across the lake 
and uh, are seen from very far away, like this cottage, for example, was a half mile away from the water's edge. That's pretty far and uh, really messes with your your judgment of distance and size, uh, speed, and everything else. Uh, author Roland Watson is also doubtful of the latest sighting. He said, quote, the video is at a similar position and distance as the controversial webcam clips. So trying to discern anything is difficult, unquote. Yes, we've talked about that, too. The uh, the small potato way up on the hill. It's, I, I think that camera is just over a half mile away from the water's edge. It's very far away, and it's really not that great uh, of a camera. And people swear up and down all the time that they're seeing the Loch Ness Monster on that, but it's so far away, you really can't tell what you're looking at. But I think that's part of the allure is that uh, people can make these sightings out of anything ambiguous, whether it's people on uh, stand-up paddle boards or ducks or deer swimming across the, the lake. But... Well, like I said before, even after this DNA study and, you know, you could drain the lock, people are still going to claim to see this monster after you fill it back up again. So it's never going to go away. And I think that's part of the allure to it. And if maybe that's uh, something on your list of places to visit, I know personally I wouldn't mind going out there. Just, to, you know, spending a few hours, maybe in the morning and the afternoon, checking out some castles and just being able to scope out, take a couple pictures of Loch Ness, a selfie or three with uh, the Loch Ness Monster, and then just moving along, going somewhere else. A lot of places in Scotland I wouldn't mind seeing. It's on the list. Don't know necessarily if it's number one, uh, but it's in the top two, maybe top three, I guess. Uh, maybe Scotland's on your list of places to visit, partially because of the Loch Ness Monster, or maybe just the legend behind the creature but what about other legendary or maybe mythical creatures well if you're in search of the um, using a, a cryptid or a mythological creature as a uh, direction to take a vacation well look no further than the website nextvacay.com which has created a list of locations with historical and current sightings of mythical creatures from around the world uh, they've also gathered some statistic, uh, some statistics on, let's see, some searches uh, kind of broken down by country here on these creatures. So who's looking for what, basically? Um, and this website, nextvacate.com. Uh, you know, a lot of these websites do this kind of stuff to uh, to get their people to come to their website to uh, look at things and. Uh, talking about uh, UFOs or mythical creatures is generally a really good way to get attention uh, because people like me are going to talk about it. And so I uh, saw it through the new stream, through Google. And of course, people love this stuff. Uh, so banshees, if you want to see a banshee, uh, you can go to Ireland. Apparently that's the uh, best place to see a banshee first described in Ireland in 1649, and the latest sighting, they say, is 1816. I don't know. I think I've heard one before in the woods, but uh, could have been a Wendigo. 
might have been. Um, so Ireland, any, I don't know exactly where. Uh, but uh, I know back the first one was uh, described in Cork, Ireland. Uh, elves. If you're looking for elves, uh, Iceland is the place. That's somewhere I want to go. It's on my bucket list. Might be my next vacation. A uh, big vacation, I should say. Uh, Iceland uh, first described seeing these elves in 2019, which is pretty recent. And uh, the last sighting was this year, 2022. So elves are abound. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of culture surrounding these strange things of elves, and um, a lot of just strange beliefs there, which is pretty cool when you consider all the beautiful areas, the waterfalls and glaciers and lakes and everything else there too. But uh, they've got the uh, they've got a lake monster there too that I've talked about here on the show. Uh, what about werewolves? We've all heard that song, right? American Werewolves in London and the the movie, which is pretty cool. Uh, France, 1573 was the first sighting, and if uh, we've had uh, England sightings as recent as 2007, but uh, they also talk about. Um, well, they do yeah, a couple of other sightings, but um, but a lot of cool movies on that too. But I'm pretty sure there's some werewolf sightings uh, we've had here in the United States. As a matter of fact, one of the first cryptid reports that I ever followed up on was of werewolves in the nearby city of Akron, which is uh, home to the Akron Arrows. I'm sorry, the Akron Rubber Ducks, which was one of the uh, teams I was talking about earlier in regards to minor league baseball. Uh, purportedly, uh, a woman saw people walking, and then all of a sudden, they turned into dogs. So she automatically felt that these were werewolves. Well, going to that area and kind of sitting and hanging around, I saw a lot of stray dogs, um, a lot of stray people too, but uh, didn't see people turning into dogs. But the jury's still out. Uh, what about unicorns? Be fun to go on a unicorn hunt. I mean, not to kill them or anything, unless you're into that sort of thing and you want the political backlash that uh, accompanies it. But Germany, 1872 was a documented sighting, although pretty sure unicorns go way back, way, way back. Uh, they're one of the first creatures described along with um, mermaids, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, hundreds of years, uh, supposedly a cave in Germany where uh, unicorn bones were found back in 1872. And it's uh, called Unicorn Cave, so you can go there. Bring a shovel. Bring a shovel. Uh, it's the National Animal of Scotland. And supposedly, there was one scene in 2014. I don't remember that story, but um, uh, sure, sure, like to see one. Uh, so I mentioned mermaids. Uh, I do remember this, uh, the last story. So the last sighting was in 2012. And it was very hard to get information because 
the language barrier and Google Translate not being very cooperative. Uh, but purportedly, there were mermaids that were preventing workers from finishing repairs on a dam, and they were chasing the men away. Um, and that was in Zimbabwe, so I don't know the name of the dam, but you could probably find out. You go there and go fishing for mermaids. Uh, the first sighting is uh, purportedly in Indonesia in 1943, but again, mermaids go way way back, uh, hundreds of years, if not even longer than that, maybe thousands of years. And we got fairies. Of course, uh, Scotland in the 1880s, the first uh, official sighting, although, you know, things go a little further back on that, not too much further back. Uh, the last sighting was in Ireland in 1988. I remember uh, doing a story on somebody who found fairy bones and had photographed them. Still don't know what those were. They were real or not real. Who knows? Uh, vampires. This is a really interesting one because, uh, well, let's uh, talk first sighting. First sighting, Romania, 1448. Of course, we all know about Dracula, Transylvania. Um, a lot of stories in that time, uh, but you know, of course we had the eighties with all those cool movies with vampires, you know, and then we had blade, the comic book come to life. And then, uh, the last sighting here, it says 2015 in the United States. And of course, uh, you know, t heard a lot of vampire stories, but the weirdest thing about all this is the fact that there are actually communities of people that believe that they are vampires and they drink blood. I believe uh, New Orleans has about uh, the 10% of the 500 people in the United States that claim to be vampires. That's a weird statistic to remember, but that's what I remember reading. I know Atlanta, Georgia actually has a community of vampires. Uh, if you want to see Yeti, Nepal is the place to be. Uh, dress warm. Dress warm and hire a guide. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't be silly. Uh, Nepal, uh, the first sighting was in 1921, and the last sighting, it says here, 2019. But I'm pretty sure we've had stories uh, since then uh, of some tracks that were purportedly of a yeti, but uh, probably of a bear. Uh, leprechauns. First sighting back in 1989 and the last sighting, 2020, both in Ireland. And uh, 2006, there was a, uh, a sighting of a leprechaun in a tree in Alabama. And this, um, I vaguely remember this, but this was actually... One of the first big viral videos on YouTube way, way back in 2006. It was uh, a long time ago. Um, leprechauns. I mean, go to, go to the cereal aisle. Did you know you can buy the Lucky Charms 
the uh, little marshmallows out of the Lucky Charms special editions right now on your shelves at your local grocery store. It's like five bucks. You can get a whole little box of these marshmallows. Um, I don't know what to do with it. Like, do I just open it and eat it? Or do I sprinkle it in some cereal? Uh, or do I keep it, you know, and, and hold on to it as a collector's item? Maybe make five bucks 20 years from now what it's probably going to be worth. Uh, Chupacabra, one of my favorite creatures. First seen in Puerto Rico in 1995. Yes, the uh, stories go back well before that, but the first official sighting, 1995, Madeline Tolentino. Uh, she, drew, she drew it, and that's uh, basically where we get our image of this creature. Of course, Benjamin Radford did a five-year investigation into the Chupacabra and basically determined that it was uh, essentially... This person, Madeline Tolentino, basically adding different things together. Um, locally, there was a movie called Species that was being filmed. A lot of locals were confused that it was uh, a sci-fi movie, not a real thing. Uh, so the creature she described is very close to Syl, the creature in the movie that had uh, spikes on her back and was an alien, which is how she described this thing. Uh, not like a dog that we tend to see here in the United States, which says the last sighting was in 2007. Uh, I know we've had ones since then. We've had a few people shoot them. They turn out to be coyotes with mange. We've also seen uh, fox with mange. Uh, we had one story with a, a raccoon with mange. All thought to be the elusive chupacabra. So global mythical vacations. Those are your hot spots. Uh, they're also talking about uh, Australia for some creatures. Spain for the Kraken. If you're so inclined, looking for that. If you want to go diving, looking for the Kraken. Uh, so what about search engines? We talked about that with the story as well. The United States believes in werewolves and wendigos. And it says, despite uh, Wendigos being mainly spotted in Canada, the United States can't get enough. 909,600 times per month on average, the Wendigo is looked up here in the United States. Huh. wonder why. Uh, which the Wendigo is a creature or evil spirit that possesses human beings. So it says, if you see one, run the other way. Okay. Uh, werewolves are another popular cryptid here in the United States, being searched an average of 770,400 times a month. I didn't know they were still cool. Well, they, I guess they still have teen heartthrob TV shows, of these pale kids that are crying about their love lives and everything. Uh, the United Kingdom... Their number one search, unicorns. They've searched for this uh, creature an average of 350,320 times a month. Huh. Put one in the barn. Uh, Canada, kind of wouldn't expect this. They, uh, the number one creature they search for 
that's mythical. Um, 271,650 times per month is for Yeti-related terms. No, it could be Sasquatch, though, so. Trying to maybe try to get tickets to go see that Minnesota team, the Minnesota Squatch. Uh, Australia. Looking for dragons and mermaids. Okay. The legend uh, of mermaids and dragons. Didn't know dragons were big in Australia. Um, mermaids. Search for an average 116,960 times a month. And uh, dragons, 186,220 times a month. Uh, but mermaids do exist in Aboriginal folklore. Don't know what they could be seeing unless it is mermaids, which are, I guess, in that area uh, north of there, Indonesia. Lots of sightings, so it's it's part of that culture of that part of the the uh, the globe, and really all over the world. If you go back hundreds of years, Malaysia. This was kind of confusing to me. I'm not sure about this. Malaysia wants to know about vampires. Their number one search for strange creatures: eighty-two thousand four hundred and sixty searches for vampire-related terms. Coming out of Malaysia each month. What is going on out there? What is going on? Now, they also have a, a list of U.S. mythical vacations. States that believe in mythical creatures the most. And Washington tops the list. They get, obviously, Bigfoot, unicorns, unicorns. California is big on, of course, uh, Bigfoot, but also elves, fairies, vampires. Weird. Uh, Utah has a leprechaun. I don't know. Weird stuff. Um, Georgia searches for mermaids. Washington also has uh, unicorns. Texas, no surprise here. They're looking for chupacabras, which uh, Texas has probably had the most chupacabra sightings of anywhere in the United States. Purported chupacabra sightings. Usually, again, they're just uh, known animals, coyotes, things like that. Um, so, yeah, go on vacation. It's that time of the year. It's May. Uh, I've already been on one this year. Hopefully I get another one and I think I deserve an extra one somewhere, but probably not to most of those locations. Let's jump to UFO news. So back on the April 12th show, episode number 511, I talked about a new finding that points toward a meteor sighting in 2014 being the first known interstellar object. So an object that comes from outside of our own solar system where we live. Uh, the meteor-wide object known as CNEOS-2014-01-08. Uh, whoever's in charge of that should come up with a, a cool name so we can talk about it easier. A little cooler in the newsprint online as well, I think. 
this object crashed into the ocean near Papua New Guinea on January 8, 2014. Scientists were unable to publish their data on the find due to the fact that it uh, relied on classified government data. So they had to sit on that for a while. Uh, of course, on October 19, 2017, we saw the object known as Umamua that at the time was thought to have been the first known interstellar object to enter our solar system. Harvard astronomer Avi Loeb, who months after the discovery of Umamua, stated that he felt the object could be of extraterrestrial origin. Well, he's published a book on the topic uh, early last year, which was titled Extraterrestrial, the First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Now, with this uh, alien visitor, this interstellar object, uh, possibly at the bottom of the ocean. Granted, the object that entered the atmosphere was uh, maybe a meter across, so probably not much left of, of it at all, if anything, the bottom of the ocean. Uh, but uh, Avi Loeb thinks that uh, that would be a very cost-effective method of studying objects from other solar systems compared to going in space. So going in a random search at the bottom of the ocean for a small object, uh, maybe a, a few inches at most wide, uh, maybe a few of those spread out across the ocean uh, over uh, maybe miles after splashing into the water. Uh, again, if there's anything left, uh, because if it doesn't break up in the atmosphere, uh, when you hit water at terminal velocity, it's like hitting the ground. And so uh, even a small object like that is just going to disintegrate when it hits the water at the same time. More than likely, it's uh, not going to be much left of this thing. But he says it's cost effective. Now, I kind of questioned that. Then I did a little research and kind of read about these uh, space explorations, which is one currently underway. Uh, the uh, sample mission to retrieve samples from the asteroid Bennu, or Bennu? I think it's Bennu. We'll go with Bennu. Sounds cooler. Uh, the Osiris Rex, so Osiris Rex, sounds like a dinosaur. Uh, this spacecraft was launched back in September of 2016 and is not going to return until September of 2023 with samples that might weigh as much as 60 grams of material. 60 grams, that's like 60 paper clips or 24 pennies worth of weight in material. So this thing's floating around for that long. All these people getting paid to uh, watch this thing, to make sure it's okay, uh, staring at a screen, pushing little buttons and standing there with headphones on with their arms folded, staring at screens. Trust me, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Um, $588.5 million went into spacecraft development alone. Another $183.5 million on the launch vehicle with an approximate cost of $283 million of nine years of mission operations. So that total cost, in case you're keeping tabs at home, you got your little green visor and your little lamp there. And your uh, 
on the calculator. What are those things called? The uh, clickety clack and the add up a adding machine. Thank you. The uh, adding machine that adds up to uh, just north. I don't know why I say they. I don't know why they always say just north of something. North of one point one six billion dollars. Billion. So we spent a billion dollars to go get 60 paperclip worth of weight out of space. Uh, so I see his point. I see his point. Uh, Loeb feels our best chance of studying objects from outer space might come from finding objects on the seafloor, like the one that crashed into the Pacific Ocean near Papua New Guinea. He says there is currently a mission being designed to explore the impact area. And it's only four square miles in water about a mile deep. Sign me up. Come out there and help. Bring a shovel. Wait, you won't need it. Uh, studying these objects might open new scientific doors. But one is hoping for to open is a, uh, is a button that's going to press that was made by aliens. That's his goal. He wants to push a button that was made by aliens. I don't think that's a good idea. Especially if it's a little red button. The plastic case over it with a, uh, a, a, a like something through it. So it means don't push it. I don't know if it's a good idea. Uh, he told Earth Sky, quote, the fundamental question is whether any interstellar meteor might indicate a composition that is left unambiguously artificial in origin. Better still, perhaps some technological components would survive the impact. My dream is to press some buttons on a functional piece of equipment that was manufactured outside of Earth. The interstellar meteor CNEOS-2014-01-08 appears to be rare, both in composition, which is it's tougher than all known meteors, including those made of iron, and in speed, which was faster than 95% of nearby stars relative to the sun. Yet it was the first interstellar meteor detected through the light emitted by its fireball. Similarly, the first interstellar object detected through refracted sunlight, which is Oumuamua, appeared anomalous relative to known comets and asteroids. Studying these fragments in a laboratory would allow us to determine the isotope abundances in the Cenos 2014-0108 and check whether they are different from those found in the solar system meteors. Uh, altogether, anomalous properties of interstellar objects like Cenos 2014-0108 and Umamua hold the potential for revising conventional wisdom in our cosmic neighborhood. Uh, some interstellar objects may be artificial in origin, representing technological equipment from alien civilizations just like spacecraft we launch away from the solar system. They would appear like a plastic bottle swept ashore on the background of natural rocks. We do not know the composition or nature of the 2014 interstellar meteor, but we do know that NASA uh, never launched a Oumuamua-scale spacecraft the size of a football field. However, it did launch many spacecraft on the scale of the 2014 interstellar meteor unquote so uh, basically what he's saying is uh, he was the giant voice behind umamua being a alien ship 
Uh, maybe it was a space sail holding, you know, push pulling or uh, a small spacecraft or it was a spacecraft in and of itself. And we should go hang out with it and uh, knock on the door and see who comes out. Uh, but now he's saying that it's probably not plausible that uh, alien technology would have launched such a large ship, which would cost an uh, insurmountable amount of money and energy to propel an object, let alone stop it in space. Because granted, you, you may not know this, but uh, there's no brakes on a spaceship. You can't just uh, hit the brakes and stop in space. You know, an object in motion uh, is going to stay in motion unless, you know, gravity somehow is going to slow you down. You're going to punch into a planet and, and hit the ground and stop. You've got to have energy to stop. So a small object, which we've uh, tossed a lot of those out in space. We've got a couple of them leaving our solar system. We've got one that left a little while ago, one that's about its, on its way out. Um, we've done it, so we can probably consider that other intelligent civilizations have done the same. Not that, not that we're not intelligent, but come on. Let's be real here. Um, he elaborated on what this find could mean as far as learning from an intelligent civilization. He compares it to the Drake equation. I'm sure you guys are familiar with about uh, the amount of uh, stars that have planets in them that are habitable and how, you know, basically a, a formula that, you know, you plug your own plug your own numbers into so you can kind of guess to see how many intelligent civilizations are out there. Uh, but he provides a very interesting and plausible spin to that. Uh, he told Earth Sky, quote, extraterrestrial space archaeology is engaged with the search for relics of other technological civilizations. The senders may not be alive when we find the relics. These circumstances are different from those encountered by the famous Drake equation, which quantifies the likelihood of detecting radio signals from extraterrestrials. That case resembles a phone conversation in which the counterpart must be active when we listen. Not so in extraterrestrial archaeology, unquote. Um, not going to go into specifics of the actual equation. Uh, it's in the article that uh, is on Earth Sky. They kind of explain it pretty well, and it, it makes a lot of sense because we can't just assume that this uh, interstellar conversation is going to take place. And you can't just send a message and wait 40 years, or I should say more than 40 years, you know, 400 plus years for an answer to come back. Uh, twice as long as what it takes you to send because you send it goes there uh, they gotta sit around for a day or two and send an answer then it takes you know however many hundreds of light years to get to you it's a long conversation I mean can you imagine just saying okay or sure thing and having to wait hundreds of years to get an answer uh, but the uh, I do I do agree that uh, it's possible you know eventually we won't be around, and some of our spacecraft, maybe even uh, a certain Tesla flying, flying around space, may still be around after we're gone. And people will see this stuff and say, hey, look, some cool people driving these neat cars. Let's go hang out with them, but we're gone. We blew each other up, and we're not around anymore. So I think that makes a lot of sense um, that uh, – we won't be around, but the, 
the article does go into uh, very specific things about the actual equation. It does make a lot of sense. He summarized the importance of research and discovery within his personal equation by saying, quote, the likelihood of us finding extraterrestrial technology, uh, technological objects depends on us willing to look for them and not just on whether the extraterrestrials had sent them, unquote. So we got to get out there. We got to look for these things. We can't just sit around and argue politics in closed rooms. We got to get out there and make some make some discoveries. Can't just uh, ignore all this stuff. But uh, I will see. And speaking of sitting behind closed doors and arguing with all this stuff, uh, big, uh, kind of a, a big announcement uh, yesterday. Well, pretty much this morning, but it did come out. The story did come out officially kind of pretty much today uh, a bigger deal than arguing over a pieces of rock at the bottom of the ocean for the first time in 50 years there's going to be a public hearing in congress on ufos or uaps unidentified aerial phenomena whatever you want to call them you're free do whatever you want uh, andre carson tweeted out uh, this morning at 9.26 a.m. that will, he will be leading the hearing in front of the subcommittee of the House Intelligence Committee, which will be chaired by California's Adam Schiff. Uh, speaking to the New York Times, Schiff explained that the hearing will explore, quote, one of the greatest mysteries of our time, unquote, and will, quote, break the cycle of excessive secrecy and speculation with truth and transparency, unquote. Sounds like a very political thing to say. Uh, Carson added, quote, since this is an area of high public interest, any undue secrecy can serve as an obstacle to solving the mystery, or it could prevent us from finding solutions to potential vulnerabilities. This hearing is about examining steps that the Pentagon can take to reduce the stigma surrounding reporting by military pilots and by civilian pilots, unquote. So, uh, the hearing will take place on May 17th at 10 a.m. and will be followed by a closed classified hearing on the Pentagon program known as the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. It's too much. It's just too much. Got to make it shorter than that. Uh, so anyway, we'll have to wait a week to see what comes out of it, if anything comes out of it, and people, you know, yelling and screaming at each other and it uh right. we'll see if anything of course i'll have uh, will be next week so hopefully uh transcripts of that will hit the internet probably as soon as it's over i'm sure uh so i'll take a, a little bit of time to kind of disseminate that look through it and see what uh what we can make of that if we can take anything intelligent from it um that'll be remain to remain to be seen i guess from uh from what uh what i've seen so far i i don't know it's it's good that we're getting the public involved but i think uh we're going to be going in the wrong direction people are going to be arguing about ufos and aliens and our safety uh when really and truly i think a lot of this stuff is 
uh, our adversaries and their technology, the Russians, the Chinese, with uh, technology that we can't figure out what it is, spying on us and our military. And uh, are we safe in our own airspace? That's the big question. But uh, we'll see. There's probably going to be two sides. So we can have one side on the UFO side and the other side on the UAP side. And no one's going to get together and they're just going to argue and speculate. And probably nothing worthwhile will come out of it. But we'll see. We shall see. So there was a question earlier in chat about uh, my telescope, which is uh, sitting behind me. I haven't uh, used it in a few days. And now the moon is getting bigger. Uh, The other morning... I was out walking my dog, and I was uh, very surprised to see the collection of – well, actually, first, very surprised to see it wasn't raining because ra- it was raining for like five straight days or very cloudy or I didn't get up early enough uh, to see four planets in the sky. So I could easily recognize Venus, which is one of the brightest lights that early morning. Uh, Jupiter was to its right, followed by Mars and Saturn. And if I had my telescope out, I might have been able to see uh, Neptune between Jupiter and Mars. But uh, it's not visible by the naked eye. Uh, Didn't have time. I had to go to work to uh, drag my telescope into the driveway and point it up there. But uh, those planets are on my list to uh, try to get some astrophotographical pictures and see what I can do with it. I don't have the best of equipment, but... Just uh, just to stare through a telescope uh, is is awesome enough. But uh, if you haven't seen this here, uh, especially in the United States, you can see that early morning hours. That was at 5:25 a.m. Uh, they were visible a little bit earlier than that. Saturn was pretty high in the sky. Venus was just above the treetops, and it was just getting to be too bright to see anything else in the sky. But it's very beautiful. So if you get the time. Get up early and look to the east, uh, southeast, and you'll see these planets along the elliptical plane. So the elliptical plane is where the sun goes. Uh, the moon travels, and the planets also travel in that elliptical plane as well. Get a planisphere. Pretty cheap, like 10 bucks. Probably get one at a library, too. Borrow it. Photograph it. Check it out. Do whatever you got to do. So you can see the things in your skies. It's pretty fun. Uh, last story of the night, and I'll let you go. Let you go. Not, not that you're not free to go right now, but please, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Let go of the mouse. Put the phone down. Uh, ghost news. So here's a question. Got a question for you. This is a question uh, seems like, I don't know, every now and again people talk about this. Uh, what would you do if you won the lottery? I should have asked you that at the beginning. Just kind of think about it. Some people are automatically just say, oh, I want to buy a car. I want to buy a Lamborghini. I'm going to buy a mansion. You know, we've all thought about it. We've probably talked about it or at least thought to ourselves about it. Uh, my answer is usually pretty complicated. I need to know how much money I'm going to win if I get a win all at once. Is it broken down into payments? Uh, how much taxes is going to get taken out? Is it Ohio? Is it another state? So how much money am I, are we talking about before I make an action? I mean, uh, i got to able to estimate what I'll be able to f- afford to do here. And people usually just roll their eyes and say, come on, Brian, just just, pick a, just throw something out there. What do you want? Uh, the big thing would be to quit my job. I know that sounds bad, but you know, when you spend 
12 hours a day, basically, between driving and working, five days plus a week, sometimes six days a week. It's a lot of your life away from home or away from uh, the people at home or uh, out of not doing things that you want to do with your life. It's a lot of time. So to be able to have that money so you didn't have to spend that time would be fantastic. Sure, I've just answered everybody out there, but uh, I'd have to make enough money to be able to pay bills, take care of my health, as well as maintain my current lifestyle, take care of the family, and hopefully have a little bit extra left over, right? I mean, yeah, a lot of people want to buy a new house, giant mansion, maybe in L.A., Buy an expensive car like a Lamborghini, Ferrari, or something. Maybe a yacht. Sounds nice, but those things, man, they're expensive. Uh, some people want to travel the world. And some people just want to buy stuff for other people, like houses and cars for their family, which is nice. Uh, lottery winners for the United Kingdom. Laura Hoyle and her partner, Kirk Stevens, won 10,000 British pounds a month for 30 years. That's basically $12,000 a month or $144,000 a year over 30 years. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of money. 12 grand a month. I could probably burn through that pretty easy. It's a lot more than I make, but 144 a year. I don't know. It just doesn't sound like a lot, but when you add it up, uh, over 30 years, that totals $4.3 million. That's a good chunk of money. I could easily uh, walk away from my career at that point. I could probably afford to give uh, people I work with a little little chunk of change, too, just to say goodbye. Uh, as I would uh, have done, uh, Miss Hoyle also quit her job. Since the winnings, uh, when the winnings were confirmed, because you got to be careful. You can't just say, oh, I got a winning ticket and then quit your job and tell everybody that you hate them. And, you know, run out and put some, you know, 50 bucks on a, a Ferrari and then find out that uh, the ticket you waited too long or somebody else won and you got to split the money. Uh, be careful. Be careful. Um, the money... They uh, quit, so they quit their job. They bought a house. And uh, Stevens, he's actually a manufacturing engineer. This is pretty noble for him. He's still pursuing a master's degree in mechanical engineering. But uh, one of the biggest things they noted is the fact that now they have time not to travel, not to buy yachts, but to go ghost hunting. That was a big headline uh, of this. Uh, so, yes, they have more money. They don't have to work. So now they're freed up to pursue investigating the supernatural, as they call it. Um, now, they don't get very specific in the story about what they want to do. As far as investigating the paranormal, uh, I don't know what their um, idea of paranormal investigation is. Uh, but it seems to me that the uh, story is basically uh, nothing more than an advertisement for the Camelot Group, which is the operator for the National Lottery in the United Kingdom. And I, I guess maybe they try to uh, appeal to people who like certain things, like investigating ghosts, which is a pretty big thing over there. Still, 
I think it's dying over here in the United States. I think people are moving on to bigger and better things, but uh, it's pretty big still in the United Kingdom. I suppose it would be nice to have the time and resources to travel to haunted locations or other associated areas of the paranormal, like we mentioned, in the cryptid field. It would be a lot of fun to uh, to be able to be freed up to travel all over the world. I'll, I'll do a blog when I do it. I won't forget where I came from. I'll still do a show. I'll do it live from different countries all over the world. How's that? And we'll talk about local haunts, local creatures, uh, maybe broadcasting from a local pub in every country. That sounds like a plan. So send me all your money, and I'll do it. You've hired me. For sure, I'll do it. Sure I will, right? Uh, anyway, that's our show for this week. I appreciate you hanging out with me for an hour or so. And I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. Don't give up on those dreams. Uh, for the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.